Jesus had a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. Um, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night under the cloak of darkness. You could tell he was interested, yet wasn't sure if he wanted to be seen in public with Jesus. But Nicodemus wanted to know how he might experience the kingdom of God. Jesus was talking a lot about the kingdom of God or, or life in the kingdom or eternal life. As he says elsewhere, Nicodemus is really curious. He's like, Jesus, we know that you're uh, from God. No one could do the miracles that you're doing unless he was the real deal. How do we experience this kingdom you keep talking about? And Jesus says, you have to be born again. You have to be born of water and the spirit in order to enter into my kingdom. So he's saying there's an experiential aspect to entering the kingdom. It's not just a matter of having like all of the right things in your head there's there's something much more experiential about this kingdom that Jesus is inviting us into so you have to be born of the spirit and then he says this the spirit is much like the wind you can hear it you can even feel it you can witness its effects but you don't necessarily see it you don't know from where the spirit's coming or where the spirit's going this is all john chapter 3 so it is with the spirit so you need to be born again you need to be born of the spirit um, it's a beautiful picture and an invitation not just to think about the kingdom of god but to actually respond to the invitation to enter the kingdom of god and so the idea is that we ourselves would experience this um, being born again, being filled by and led by and changed by the Holy Spirit. And thus we've been doing our summer series on the Holy Spirit. We've entitled it, Where the Wind Blows, um, using the metaphor in John chapter 3. The way we've been doing this, if you're just joining us this morning, this is your introduction, you're welcome. Uh, We've been looking at the book of Acts, and it's kind of like looking for the spiritual windsock every time it shows up in the book of Acts. It's like, oh, there's the Holy Spirit speaking. There's the Holy Spirit, like, filling an individual. There's the Holy Spirit being poured out, and, and you can see the wind blowing because the spiritual windsock is beginning to move. We've been considering, like, oh, this is what the Holy Spirit does. This is what the Holy Spirit sounds like. We've been engaging each one of these stories, and then, of course, asking ourselves the all-important question, what might this look like for us today in Portland, or wherever you're coming from? So this morning, we're going to be looking at another Holy Spirit story out of the book of Acts, chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, that's your cue. Go ahead and get it out, turn it on if you'd like to grab one of the NIV paperbacks out of the center aisle. They are there for you, and of course, as always, the text is on the screen. We're going to read 21 verses. This is only like a fraction of the whole story, but I think it's just enough to give us, give us a good context. So 21 verses, buckle up. Acts chapter 10. Starting in verse 1. At Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. 
About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now, send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter, his lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey... And approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise. Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? Stop there. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that you uh, meet with us when we, we gather in your name. We come together to meet with you. There you are. Here you are with us. And I'm praying that... Um, you would be our teacher this morning, that you would guide us into all truth, and that this would be more than just a story um, to maybe think about, but, but really an invitation to engage and to experience uh, the move of your spirit in our lives. Would you help us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I shared this with a few of you already, but... I took my eldest son, Isaac, where are you out there? I asked Isaac if I could share this story. He said it was fine. Uh, what, about a month ago, three or four weeks ago? Uh, he was about to turn 14. So I, I had this idea, I'm going to take him on like a man trip, sort of a coming of age, like a rite of passage. Um, if you've ever read John Eldridge, like you, you, know, you know what this is. 
He's a popular Christian writer who talks about like just the journey of manhood and how so many of us, like myself, like we, we sort of miss some of those moments where maybe our earthly father kind of takes us on an adventure. We, we scale a mountain, we overcome our fears, and we, we, you know, we have these experiences. And, and that's what I wanted for Isaac. So um, I thought, we'll go backpacking. I have never been backpacking. Uh, I've been like on some hikes, right? But never like just what, whatever you got is on your back and we're going to head off into the wilderness and, and do this thing. So I got a bit of advice from a few of you in this room. Like, what should I do? What should I take? How should it be? Um, I had grand ideas for what this was going to be. It ended up being a little less spectacular than it was in my mind. But nonetheless... We got out there. We made it happen. An, an overnighter, a single night out in, um, what's it called? Eagle Creek. Gorgeous. And, uh, you know, we, we learned a few lessons immediately. We were about 30 minutes into the, to the hike, and I could feel my soul starting to unhinge. And then about an hour in, the sole of my left boot also started to come unhinged. So within an hour plus, I was now, I'd gone from walking on some pretty decent hiking boots to, to what was essentially like moccasins. I had no soles on the bottom of my boots. Um, we got to our spot, we unpacked, realized immediately we probably shouldn't have packed like eight massive Polish sausages has anyone ever gone backpacking? Why did no one tell me, like, the most important thing, don't pack, like, items full of water that weigh, like, as much as your tent? So we started learning some lessons. The next day we got up and we set out um, to God only knows where. We had no idea where we were going. All I knew is that we needed to pack much, much lighter. So we didn't bring anything except for a couple of sandwiches, a couple of hours couple of hours into day two hike, I realized we didn't bring a map, a compass, a phone, first aid, anything to stay alive. But there we were, out in the wilderness. So someone's really trying to communicate. <laughs> the point, the point of the story. Um, I had this big idea that I was going to take, that thing just won't stop, will it? Try, try throwing it up in the air. Yeah. <clears throat> I had this amazing idea that I was going to take my boy out of the wilderness. We're going to face some big challenge. We're going to overcome this thing. We're going to scale the mountain. And, and I was going to impart like manhood to my boy. And I realized that this whole adventure, it wasn't about Isaac. Or it was just as much about God wanting to impart something in this 48-year-old man as it was a father wanting to give something to his son. In the same way, this story that we just read it's not just about one man receiving the message about Jesus. Peter went 
with those whom Cornelius had sent to Joppa. Eventually, we find ourselves in the house of the Italian man and his family. And Peter opens his mouth and he shares with them the news about what God has done in Christ Jesus, who died for the sins of the world and came back to life, now offering new life, life in the kingdom to anyone who would trust him. So that happens. But this isn't just the story about Cornelius. This is the tale of two souls. The Holy Spirit on mission to reach a man and his family named Cornelius. And this work that he was in the process of doing in Peter's life. This is the tale of two souls. Um, I'm not talking about my cursed hiking boots. I'm talking about um, the way God likes to work in reaching people who don't know him while simultaneously including his kids in such a way that along the way we might realize, oh, this is just as much about what God is doing has been doing in my own soul as it is about those out there who, have, who perhaps haven't even heard the message about Jesus yet. <clears throat> um, let's start with Cornelius, and then we'll talk about Peter. So, um, as we just read, Cornelius is, um, he's not a Jew, He's an Italian man. He's a military man. Um, sounds like some sort of a high-ranking soldier, military official. Um, he's a good man. Is that, is that fair to say? Like, he's described in very favorable terms. Uh, he's a devout man. He's a God-fearing man. He gives alms to the people. And he prays continuously. This is a spiritual man. This is a man who seems uh, not obstinate, not anti, not aloof, but very much wanting to um, somehow experience God, uh, the God of the Jews specifically. Being um, an Italian man, a non-Jewish Gentile, he of course would have um, probably have grown up in what we might call uh, the pagan world. Um, so the world that he was raised in would have been full of all sorts of uh, ways of worshiping, different gods that he may have appealed to or prayed to for favor or help or provision or protection. Um, but along the way, it would seem he was introduced to the God of the Hebrews, the creator God, a God who refers to himself as father. And, and perhaps it would have been um, because of Philip's journey to Caesarea, don't know if you guys were around a few weeks ago, but we looked at how the Holy Spirit um, moved a man named Philip to go and share the good news about Jesus with an Ethiopian eunuch on some desert road out in the middle of nowhere. And then we're told after that happened, the Spirit led Philip to Caesarea, which is where this story is happening. So if you connect some of the dots, it's not hard to imagine that perhaps um, some Christians were beginning to, to live in 
do life and share the good news with others in the city of Caesarea. And so it would seem that Cornelius somehow was a part of this. And we're told when Peter arrives at the house, Cornelius has his whole family gathered together. And um, when Peter begins to address them, he says to Cornelius and his family, you know all that's taken place in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. You know about the Messiah that the Jewish people had been hoping and waiting for for centuries. You know about this man named Jesus who died on one of your crosses, a Roman cross, and allegedly came back to life. And I'm here to tell you that it's all true. In fact, I was one of the witnesses. I shared a meal with him three days after he came back to life. But Cornelius was already apparently aware of all these events. And so Cornelius, he's an example of someone who would seem was like right on the edge of responding, uh, putting his faith in Jesus. And this story reminds us that the world is full of people who are looking for God, who are praying, who are giving, who are seeking God in all sorts of different ways. And perhaps it works out in, in different um, language, cultural expressions, depending upon where you're at in the world. This is an Italian man. I was chatting with someone this morning coming from Italy. All of my dad's side of the family is from Italy. I remember... Um, going to the Sons of Italy Italian feed once a year. Every year growing up, seeing my grandpa start singing in Italian, accordion player coming out, playing all the Italian music, very loud, very messy. So there's a cultural element to what's happening in this story. You know, there's people in our city who are looking for God who are open. And I think it's, um, I don't know, maybe it's, it seems like an obvious thing to say, but oftentimes in our town, in a place like Portland, it's, it's too easy to begin thinking that no one wants to hear it. Yeah, there's a few of us Christians, you know, we, we're into it. We like, we like Jesus, but most of the city, virtually everyone else is like, adamantly oppose, don't want to hear it, keep it to yourself, don't care, don't believe, and yet, I don't know if that's true. In fact, I'm convinced that there's plenty of Corneliuses all around us, and perhaps we would um, do well to remember that not everyone's opposed to the good news. In fact, there's a lot of people out there who are like, they're just waiting they're getting visions from heaven saying, go and, and, and call for some random guy named Simon. He also goes by Peter. He's living with a guy named Simon who's a tanner who owns a house by the sea. Just, just, just send some people to go get him. And he does it because he's like that hungry. He's that ready to respond to Jesus. That's a great story. I love that. Makes me want to start talking to, uh, I don't know, random people. People on the campus. People who I meet at like random hotels in Reading. This lady right here. 
so nice of you to visit us. Uh, I got to pray for a woman in the checkout at Safeway this morning. I was buying half and half. And I remembered about a year ago having a conversation with this woman about her son. And I said, are you ready for, uh, to school, for school to kick back off? And she said, well, that is the question of the day, isn't it? Um, not really. I don't know where my son is. He ran away from home. He told me he's a man now. And uh, I have no idea where he is. I said, how old is your son? He's 16. I have no idea where he is right now. So without even asking for permission, I just started praying. I said, Lord Jesus, would you bless this young man? And would you give my sister your peace? Because right now she's hurting. She started to cry right there in the checkout stand at Safeway. And Jesus kind of just showed up in the middle of me buying our half and half. And the donut holes, of course. The Holy Spirit um, is constantly moving towards people who are seeking God. And they're all over the place. They're among us. May not always feel that way. But listen carefully. Watch for the windsock of the Spirit. And trust that God is moving his people to engage in conversation, to pray for people, to bless those who, who are wide open, who are hungry, who are looking for hope, who don't need to be told they're wrong, who need to hear the message of how good and faithful God is in Christ, that there is hope that Jesus is alive. Which brings us to Peter. <clears throat> Peter was also a God-fearing man. Um, he was a leader. He was a force to be reckoned with. He had been walking with Jesus uh, essentially from the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. He was there when it all started to go public. Of course, Peter... Um, he had his own sort of uh, windy journey. Uh, he had quite a few different experiences of getting to know Jesus, coming to, um, to understand who Jesus actually was and, and the, the true nature of the mission that he was on. Um, it was quite a journey, to be sure. But Peter, um, yeah, he, he was a seeker of God. He was also praying in the story. It's funny, the parallel uh, parallelism is... Uh, pretty obvious in the story. Two men, two visitations. They each have a vision, the Holy Spirit. Um, within like less than 24 hours, the Holy Spirit's like, okay, you, you tell these people to go get this guy. Okay, now when these guys show up, I want you to go with them. And like the Holy Spirit is speaking and orchestrating this, uh, this coming together. And so Peter, he's also getting a vision. He's pondering the meaning of this bizarre vision that he has with the sheet coming down from heaven. It's full of all these uh, bizarre animals, these quote-unquote unclean beasts. And as he's pondering the meaning of this vision, the Holy Spirit begins to speak. By the way, this is a side note. Um, if you want to know what God is saying to you, until so you've got some decisions to make in life, some big dreams, 
huge obstacles to get over and you're wondering, God, what are you doing? What are you up to? Which way do I go? Can I encourage you to ponder what God is saying? You might find yourself meeting someone. You, shoot, you may have a vision. There may be some sort of an angelic, um, a divine appointment, as we say. Something stands out. It almost feels like, is it a sign? Maybe I'm just making it up in my mind. I am not sure. Is God speaking? It feels like it. I don't know. Ponder this experience you're having. Ponder the quote-unquote vision. While Peter was pondering, the Spirit was speaking. Learn to slow down. Learn to um, get comfortable sitting still with your thoughts. The Holy Spirit does speak. Often the voice of God is heard in whispers. Um, Peter. Quite a leader. Um, quite instrumental in the work that, was, that God was doing uh, to spread the news, to announce to the world that Jesus had conquered death, that forgiveness of sins was available and new life was on offer. Like Peter was right there in the mix. He, he was present on the day of quote-unquote Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out and this great promise of old was fulfilled and, and all of the apostles began to experience this like infilling of the Spirit. And we're told that it, it actually seemed like um, fire, flames that were like tongues rested on each one of the apostles and they began to speak in other languages and God did this incredible thing. And, and then right in the middle of it all, Peter stood up I mean, the boldness. Love this guy. He begins to proclaim to the crowd, like thousands of people gathered for some festival in the city. He begins to proclaim to them, this is the meaning of what you're witnessing now. And he preaches a sermon, open air, right there, right there in the middle of the chaos. And God uses him. And this is Peter using him like an instrument, a missional instrument of God. But... He wasn't just an instrument. God was also working in the heart of this man as well. He wasn't just a missional instrument in this story. He was just as much a part of the mission itself as he was a missionary going to this man in Caesarea. Um, it's a good thing to want to be utilized by God for his purposes. Is it not? It's a good thing. I went in on the action. One, someone told me one time that God has a plan for my life. Have you ever heard that? It's like one of these cliche things. God has a plan for your life. I believe it. I believed it then and I believe it today. God doesn't just sort of like welcome us into his family to be like, all right, you're in, good, awesome. Just don't break my stuff. I'm gonna go reach some more people, all right? I'm gonna go reach some more people. Try, try to be, at least try to get your morality sorted out. I'm, I'm gonna go get some more lost sons and daughters. No, 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 no. God wants to include us 
in this, uh, this, this mission that he's on to reach more lost sons and daughters. And then so we will tell people about Jesus. Is anyone offended by the idea of like telling quote unquote lost people about Jesus? Does that bother anyone? I remember one time I was invited to teach a course on evangelism. Casey, you were in the room. Teach a course on evangelism. This was sort of like a, like a Bible class. I was at Grace City in Corvallis. And the pastor that normally teaches this course was out of town. He says, Simon, it's, I, I need you to cover the class tonight. I'm like, all right, awesome. What's, what's the subject? What is it? He's like, evangelism. So I want you to prepare a lesson on evangelism. So I'm like, all right, cool. So these are all like church members attending a six-month course on how to be like super Christians, essentially. So I'm thinking like, for sure they'll be into this. And so I'm like teaching, like the, here's what evangelism is. Here's how we can do it. And one of the people in the room raised their hand. And I said, yeah, what's, what's going on? What's your question? And they essentially said, yeah, I hate everything you're talking about. I'm offended to the core that you would suggest that anyone is, what do you say, lost, and then we need to go out and save them? How dare you? And they were like properly offended. The, the notion that like God would send us to go and like tell others that, hey, hey, you're also invited. You're also welcomed to come home. Jesus also died for you. Some people find that just the notion of evangelism super offensive. But no one in here? No? Anyone want to raise their hand now? Uh, yeah, put me down for that. God has a plan for our lives. And it's not just to do evangelism. It's not just to like go preach at lost people. It's to become the man or the woman that like wholly reflects who he is, what God is like. He wants us to become fully human, fully alive. And that could look like becoming um, a really good dad, really good dad. An amazing friend. A good brother or sister. Could look like becoming um, a good business leader. Someone who operates with the integrity of heaven. That could be God's plan for your life. Probably a mixture of all those things. God wants to include us in his plans and the work that he is doing in such a way that we ourselves become like conduits of his spirit moving, working in the world, in dark places all around us. We get to participate in the stuff he's doing, but we're never ever, we don't ever merely become instruments. Even as God is working through us, he's still working in us. This, this is what's happening in the life of Peter. Which, which, which actually brings us to some good news and some not bad news. Let's say uh, very difficult news. So there's good news and there's difficult news. The good news is this. God is just as committed to wholly restoring your soul to become fully human just as much as he is committed to reaching you in the first place. That's the good news. Like God reaches us, 
He adopts us, he loves us, he welcomes us home, and then he includes us in this ongoing process. He, the Bible says he continues to perfect the work that he has started. That's, that's super cool. That's super cool. God is like a really, really engaged parent. Here's the difficult news. God is just as committed to fully restoring our souls just as much as he is committed to reaching us in the first place. You guys tracking with me? So the good news is the same as the really difficult news. Because the process of God restoring our souls, oh, it's quite a ride. Quite a ride. Um, like one old pastor used to say, amen or oh my. God is committed to restoring our soul. This is Peter's story. He's not just a tool. He's not just a pawn. God could have used Philip. Philip was already in town. He was already in Caesarea. Dudes, you talk about like a real evangelist. This guy is like charging out to the desert to reach Ethiopian eunuchs. Philip was there on standby. God is like, mm, you know what? This would be, you know who would be perfect for this job? Is my man, Peter. Because he's still struggling with um, people pleasing, hypocrisy. Oh, and there's that whole bigotry thing that's still sort of like there in his heart. So I'm going to get my man Peter to go on mission, and in the process, I'm going to do something really, really good in his soul. That's Peter's story. What do you think about that? Difficult, painful. So let me, let me, let me make a few comments about the restoration process of the soul. It's a difficult process. Number one. The restoration process of the soul. Number one, it's not a linear process. It's not a straight line. This is the chalkboard time. Okay, how many of you would like to imagine this is what the journey of becoming a godly person looks like? You start down here, you're a mess, you hate God. You're, you're like, you know, strung out and doing all the things. You know, you imagine like all the worst things, right? All the things that you used to do. And then, and then Jesus gets a hold of you and, and just pulls you right up out of the mire. He, he tells you you're forgiven. He pours his love into your heart. And you're like, I'm saved. I've been set free. I'm in the family. And off we go. Man, we're just, we're jamming. We're jamming, and there's heaven up there. And, you know, we're not, like, perfect initially, but we're, certain, we're certainly moving up into the right. That, that's in, that sounds, sound right? Appealing, right? I don't know if anyone has, has ever experienced that. This is what the process actually looks like. We start out here. Um, we usually go uh, more something like this. Oh, Okay. Take Peter, for example. 
When Peter meets Jesus, he's just spent the whole night fishing unsuccessfully. Doesn't catch a thing. Peter sees him, or Jesus sees Peter. He's walking down the shore. He calls out to Peter on the boat. He says, put the, put the net out into the deep. Try again, Peter. And Peter says, Master, we've been trying this all night. <coughs> I'm a fisherman. Uh, but whatever you say, at your word. And so they do it. And they catch so much fish. The net starts breaking. They call some of the other fishermen over. The boat starts sinking. It's a miraculous catch. And you know how Peter responds when he finally gets with Jesus? He says, go away, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. He falls down on his, his, his knees. Leave me. I'm a sinful man. He's somehow like overwhelmed with this reality of like, oh, I'm in the presence of holiness? This is no ordinary man. This is not just another teacher. I'm in the presence of God. And so he begins by going down. But then Jesus responds and he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. I have a plan for your life. Trust me and follow me. So he builds him up. Man, all of a sudden he's gone from like, I'm a wicked man. I don't even deserve to like make eye contact with you. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not why I'm here. Don't be afraid. Follow me. I've got a plan for your life. And he builds him up. As the story goes on, Peter, he has several moments like this. Um, one of his more famous moments, Peter has a revelation. He, um, Jesus asks his disciples at one point, who do the people say that I am? The crowds are speculating. Everyone's wondering, who is this miracle man? Who is this Jesus? Who is this one that keeps talking about the kingdom? And, and uh, Peter's like, ooh, ooh, I, I know, I know. You're, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, come on, Peter. Come on, Peter. You, you nailed it. My Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And of course, I wasn't there, but I imagine Peter's like, heck yeah. Heck yeah. I've been reading my Bible. And then immediately, immediately, Jesus then begins to explain, this is why. I have to go to the cross. You see, the Son of Man's not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that's why I'm actually on my way to Jerusalem where I'm going to be betrayed, arrested, and crucified for the sins of the world. And Peter is like, no, Lord, no. And Jesus is like, no, Peter, Actually, you're thinking like Satan. So get behind me. Yeah, uh-oh. <laughs> We've been brought low again. We've been brought low again. The story continues towards the end of, of Jesus' ministry. There's a moment when Peter, uh, he pledges his allegiance to Jesus. He says, no matter what happens, no matter how this plays out, Jesus, I want you to know 
that I am with you to the end. Another one of these sort of bold like declarations. Jesus, I'm your man to the end. I'll fight for you. I'll die for you. I'll never, ever, ever leave you. Cool. Good on you, Peter. Back on track. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, you know, before the rooster crows three times, uh, you will deny me. And guess what? Um, He does. He does. Ultimately, uh, we find Peter. Jesus has been arrested. He's betrayed. He's arrested. And then he's, uh, he's taken to the high priest's house and there's a courtyard out there. And Peter's there. He's standing around a fire with some soldiers. And there's a little girl there. One of the servant girls who says, hey, aren't you one of his followers? Say, you sound like a Galilean. And Peter's like, no, no. Three times that happens. Three times Peter denies Jesus. The journey is fraught. Oh, he's brought low, 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 low. He denies even knowing his Savior. And it destroys him. He says after the third denial, he runs, he runs away, just crushed, weeping, realizing what he's done. And Jesus does die. And Jesus comes back three days later, and Jesus finds Peter. Again, he goes looking for Peter. Where's Peter? He's out fishing again. He's gone back to his old life. He's like, man, I blew it. I blew it. I had a chance. I was going to be someone, and I blew it. In a moment of weakness, I gave in. I denied my Savior. And Jesus goes looking for him again. He's like, hello, Peter, how's the fishing going? Try throwing the net on the other side. You may know the story. The catch is so big. Only this time, we're told specifically in the book of John that the net doesn't break. That's another sermon. Jesus restores Peter. He lifts him up again. He says, hey man, I knew you were going to do that. I told you you were going to do that, but I prayed for you. And I'm praying for you, and I'm for you. And even though you may have been faithless, I am faithful. And my plan is still intact. Do you love me? Awesome. I love you too. Now go feed my sheep. Let's go get to work. Game's not over. And he lifts him up, and he says, remember how I told you I was going to make you fishers, a fisher of men? That promise is still true, and he builds him up again. This is the journey of restoration. And each one of these little valleys here, this is what's called returning to the cross. Where we're confronted with ourselves, our issues. The fact that, yeah, there was something in me when that little girl challenged me around the fire. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. I got afraid. Mm-hmm. I know. I was there. I actually... I saw you. I was with an earshot. I was right there in the courtyard, Peter. I know. But I'm not done with you. I'm not done with your soul. We're going we're gonna to keep peeling back layers. We're going to keep working on you. I'm committed to making you become the man that you want to be. The human that I created you to be. I'm going to teach you how to be fully human and fully alive. Um, It is not a linear journey. In this story, 
At this point in the story, we're told in Acts chapter 5 that Peter had become so successful in his ministry that people would actually bring their sick out to the sidewalk so that as Peter walked by, if his shadow was merely like cast over the sick, they would be healed. That's, that's, that's pretty good ministry. That's pretty good ministry. I'm like, just never mind the sermon. All right, just bring anyone sick. Have a shadow, but we, we'll figure something out. That's powerful ministry. Peter was kind of a man. And now he has this vision. And in the vision, Jesus says, rise, kill, and eat. And what does Peter say? No, Lord. Hmm. Deja vu. No, Lord. Three times. Three times. Do it. Don't call don't don't tell me what I call good or holy, unclean or common. No, Peter, now go. I've got something I want to do. God is dealing with something in this man's heart that's so um, deeply embedded in his soul. Elsewhere in... um, you keep reading the story in Acts. We get to Acts 11. Cornelius and his family, they've all responded to the gospel. The Spirit's poured out. They all start praying in tongues. It, it, exactly what happened to the apostles on Pentecost is what happens to these non-Jewish Italians gathered in this family. Their family gathered to hear the gospel. That all happens, and then we're told that There were those of the circumcision party. So some Jews who were still struggling to think that Jesus would ever accept an Italian family. They're not even circumcised. Like they 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 don't eat right. They don't act right. They don't know how one should look or act if they're to truly be a member of God's family. And so there's this party. They call them the circumcision party. We're told some of them went down to Antioch. To see what God was doing down there. In Galatians chapter 2. Track with me. In Galatians chapter 2. We're told that Peter was actually in Antioch. And that when some of those from the circumcision party. Showed up in Antioch. Peter separated himself. From the non-Jews. He wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. Because he was a little concerned about what the others might think. This dude had a major problem with what other people thought about him. He was a people pleaser to the core. And so the apostle Paul, Ben preached about Paul last week, we're told in Galatians chapter two that he confronted Peter to his face. It's like a public situation. He said, Peter, What's up with the hypocrisy? Before the circumcision party showed up, you were perfectly fine enjoying a meal with a Gentile. And now, what, because these guys showed up, you're going to withdraw? What's up with the bigotry? What's up with the people pleasing? What's up with the hypocrisy? He rebukes him to his face. Um, Here we are again. 
again. And now on a rooftop, God is meeting Peter. In another moment, say, Peter, I'm not done restoring your soul. I'm not done peeling back layers. Anyway, that horse is beat to death. The journey is not a straight line. Can I invite our worship team to join me up front, please? How long have I been preaching? I lost track of time. Let me just close on this point. Some of this might be like, where are you going with this? This is all so abstract. I don't know what to do with this per se. Let me, let me see if I can't, can't land this for us. This, this process, this is the Christian journey. Jesus begins to lead you, and it's just like, man, I'm, I'm, I feel like I experience God's grace. I experience like, like healing. I experience um, a degree of, of wholeness and yet then you get to this point where you're like man I'm like am I failing did I do something wrong is God mad at me why, why do I feel like this upward trajectory is now like not happening anymore and you're like man like I must have done something wrong and in this story that's not the point at all God isn't punishing Peter because somehow he's like blown it. God is committed to healing his kids, to meeting us in our, our brokenness, unwilling to simply let us go our own way and, 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 and do whatever we want. God like meets us in our brokenness, only oftentimes we can make the mistake of thinking, oh, I, I must have taken a wrong turn. I, I must be doing it wrong. God must be mad at me because I feel like, um, yeah, this doesn't feel like healing anymore. This doesn't feel like, like those initial feelings of like hope and joy and, and it, it's very uncomfortable and I feel like, yeah, maybe, um, or maybe, maybe it's not me, maybe it's the people around me. Someone, someone said something and I feel like I've been like confronted or I, I feel challenged and it's almost like, man, maybe they're the problem. Maybe I need to just like get away from them. And, and it can be a whole mixture of like difficult feelings. And I want to remind us that actually sometimes when we find ourselves in that season where it feels like, man, everything's going wrong. It could be that you're the closest to Jesus you've been in a while. And God is up to something, wanting to address something, wanting to peel back a layer, unearth some deep insecurity, lead you back to the cross. That issue that you thought was in the past, Jesus is like, nah, let's, let's come back to it. Let's come back to it. I want to teach you how to forgive or be forgiven in a way that you've never experienced before. And it's going to be very painful you're going to feel like a wreck. You might even be tempted to think that somehow, like you've done something terribly wrong. And yet Peter was exactly where he needed to be. 
exactly where he needed to be in order for God to take him on a new journey, to go deeper in the process of restoring this man's soul. As Isaac and I were hiking back that second day, my left foot was so sore, I thought I might die. I'm not even playing. I had like blisters under blisters under blisters. Like I'm pretty sure that's a real thing. It's still healing. It's still, it's, it was bad. It was really, really bad. Got infected. Whole foot got swollen. I was tempted in that moment to somehow make the whole trip all about me. It was all about me, how I was ill-prepared, how God was punishing me, or, or just, I would just, everything was all about me in that moment. Isn't that the way it is when life is really hard and everything's going wrong and your perspective does this and all of a sudden, all you can see is yourself in the mirror. And you're like, man, this is... And you just become consumed with your own insecurity, with your own pain, with your own doubt, with your own self. And then a moment, God says, let's take a journey. Let's go someplace together. And by the time we got back from that nightmare of a hiking trip, I realized this trip wasn't about Isaac. This trip wasn't even about me. This trip was about us. Life following Jesus, life in the spirit is being a part of how God begins bringing people back together. The reason why God is so committed to restoring your soul is because God is committed to bringing um, brothers and sisters back together again taking us on journeys in such a way that people that you were once estranged to, people who hurt you, people who you still haven't forgiven, God wants to do something in that part of our soul. That we would become reconciled to one another. Can we stand together, please? our worship team leads us in song Lord would you help us as we consider the various ways that you are working in our lives addressing the painful things in our souls. Lord, would you give us courage to trust you, to respond as you lead us, to speak as we ponder all of these things. <laughs>